chill books original letters from al ghazali a collection of letters from abu hamid al ghazali to various recipients when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Letter 1, an open letter. To whomsoever it may concern. God has reserved his bounties for those who are pious and turn away from worldly gain and vanities, and avoid forbidden things. There are only a few men out of thousands who seek knowledge in its truest sense and renounce pleasure, wealth and power which are the general objects of human ambition. Of the learned there are still fewer who know those things which are based upon the overflow of gifts, not upon constrained research or wearisome struggle for acquisition. And these few people are those possessed of knowledge. They are those who make God and their spiritual world ever-present realities in the routine of daily life, and whose knowledge reveals to them that all interfering distractions must be removed entirely so that the heart may be purged of all that is not God. They are those who have knowledge of religion and act upon it, instructing others and believing that attention given to theory and practice has its proper value and proportion. They are unmistakably the most prominent and exalted religious personalities. When they were patient, we made from them leaders, guiding with our command they were certain of our verses. Quran, chapter 32, verse 24. They are not to be included among those of whom it has been said. Recite to them the news of he to whom we gave our signs and who turned away from them, how Satan overtook him as he was led astray. Quran, chapter 7 verse 175. There are very few people who have the aptitude for the acquisition of true knowledge and are endowed with piety. Usually they are overtaken by the devils and the stages of their upward progress are blocked by the mischief of the devils. Near relatives, friends, money and property are deemed as interfering distractions in addition to rift and enmity which have ruined many a family. If they prevent a scholar from going ahead with his prospect of studies, they can be safely compared to the devils, whose sole aim is to disturb a scholar in his studies. I believe he has the making of a true scholar in him and is fit enough to be adorned with the best knowledge and enlightenment. It ought to be possible for you to provide him with the necessary facilities to enable him to attain to the height of knowledge and perfection, for which act of kindness you will be liberally rewarded both here and in the hereafter. But, if every moment you insist that he should return home without completing his course, you will definitely spoil the whole scheme of his studies, and instead of being a patron to him, you would harm him incalculably. If you do not refrain from this, you will be regarded among those who place obstacles in the way of students and prevent them from the acquisition of knowledge. Our holy prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, Do not help the devils against your brothers.
A student told me quite innocently that going home for a few days would only interfere with his studies. Through bitter experience I have learned that if the link is broken once, it is impossible to resume studies, for the home or the native village is such a storehouse of mental worries and discouragement that the pursuits of studies have to be dispensed with. I have said these things as one of your well-wishers. Every man has been assigned a special duty, and it is easy for one to perform the duty for which he has been created, and the blessed is he who has been created to do good deeds and help others in this connection. To every science its own people, and each man finds easy that for which he has been created. Act. Yours sincerely, Al-Ghazali. Letter 2. Al-Ghazali's letter to all those who wishing to achieve a peaceful and pious life. To all those who wishing to achieve a peaceful and pious life. One has to cross many difficult stages and surmount apparently insurmountable difficulties before one attains to spiritual height by completing one's onward march. The most important of these stages could be summed up in a few words, social affair and gnosis. Social affair is an introduction to gnosis and begins with eating a mouthful of simple food earned by hallow labor and ends in the sincerity of one's actions and deeds. When this stage is reached the chapter on Gnosis written by the pen of God in his own book flashes before our sight and we find that the chapter is entitled, There is no God except God. The prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, the first words which God wrote in his first book were, There is no God except me, my kindness slash mercy exceeds my anger. The chapter on social affairs also bears the same words, but since it covers only one aspect of faith, it cannot reflect the virtues contained in Gnosis. It is unwise to give a detailed account of Gnosis, for the more one seeks words to express it, the more one feels the impossibility of describing the thing by any of our usual images. A hint of this connection may be of some use to those who are interested. Gnosis or Marifat is knowledge given in ecstasy peculiar to saints who behold God with their hearts. This knowledge differs altogether from intellectual and traditional knowledge. On the other hand, the more one seeks to discuss social affairs in detail the more one feels it is easily understood by listeners, and as such it is beneficial to them. I have already said that social affairs start with eating a mouthful of hell-earned food. There are four kinds of piety and devotion meant for those who eat hell food. One in which the observance of justice is essential. According to the verdict of religious teachers, Pious people are required to avoid forbidden things. Another in which good people are not misled by doubt, even though these doubts are not declared illicit by Islamic law. The Holy Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said to several of his companions, in spite of the verdict of the Muftis is your favor, always turn to your own conscience for a legal decision. He also said, completely abandon that which is doubtful and choose that which you do not suspect. This kind of piety is not obligatory. It is an optional virtue and contributes to one's moral progress. 
The first kind signifies the devotional spirit of the worshipper. The prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, Man cannot become pious unless he fears that even legitimate and harmless objects might lead him to trouble if he does not avoid them. This is the reason my Hadrat Abu Bakr Siddiq, may God be pleased with him, used to place stones on his mouth to hold his tongue so that he might avoid risking saying something which may not be very desirable or falling into a sin of which he was not aware. It so happened that once Hadrat Yuma bin Khattab, may God be pleased with him, smelt some musk lying in the government treasury. He touched it and it perfumed one of his fingers. He washed his fingers continuously and then rubbed them on the ground so that the fragrance would at last be removed completely. Although there was no harm in it, he feared that if he indulged in strong-smelling substances he might commit the sin of excessive smelling. The fourth kind relates to the piety of the true believers who abstain from the world and its wickedness and whose minds I perceive the vision of beauty of the presence which at one glance fills their minds to the exclusion of all other objects. If they eat, they eat for the sake of God. If they drink, they drink for the sake of God. If they speak, they speak for the sake of God. If they live, they live for the sake of God. All their affairs are from God, in God and by God. God said, My worshiper draws near to me by means of voluntary righteous acts and I love him, and when I love him, I am his ear, so that he hears by me, and his eye, so that he sees by me, and his tongue, so that he speaks by me, and his hand, so that he takes by me. Those who receive guidance from the chapter entitled Social Affairs are divided into three types as explained by God in the verse. Then, we gave the book as an inheritance to those of our worshippers whom we chose. Quran Chapter 35 verse 32 Those who acquire the virtue of administering justice on a contemplative basis and follow the right middle course between two extremes. Those who do not appreciate the value of piety and avoid the performance of duty towards their fellow men belong to the category of tyrants, and serious afflictions will be dispensed to them. Those who rise higher and enjoy the rank equivalent to that of the early Muslims, in this age of ours it seems impossible that one could belong to their category, though it is earnestly hoped that the people who can fulfill the conditions laid down for the pious and the just could be raised to this high rank, as explained by the Holy Prophet. Praise and peace be upon him. The day is not far off when people who get one-tenth of your portion will attain salvation. When his companions inquired how this would be possible, he replied, for you help others to do good deeds. It is wrong to think that money earned by farmers or businessmen is always legitimate, and that the one who makes use of such money is entitled to the rank enjoyed by the early Muslims. It is also incorrect to believe that people in the employ of the government, who receive pay and emoluments, are tyrants. For the money earned by the businessmen is in turn mixed, and as such it requires a thorough process of analysis before it could be properly made use of. Similarly, the large fortune at the disposal of kings also requires thorough scrutiny and careful investigation. Seen from this point of view, a king hoards three kinds of wealth. 
money taken from someone by force, money collected from his subjects on account of a fine or penalty, money realized from subjects on account of tax and revenue at exorbitant rates. The above-mentioned types of wealth are forbidden. Those kings and sultans are, of course, usurpers and tyrants who accumulate such wealth and do not return it to their rightful owners. There is a kind of money which is quite legitimate. This is the price of grain grown on one's own farm and disposed of. The goods on money stolen or taken away from others by brute force is illegitimate. The verdict of the Islamic law is quite clear about this. The one who is in possession of such goods or money should distribute it among the needy, dervishes, or contribute it towards the welfare of the society. It must not be left in the hands of usurpers who will certainly misuse it and disturb social justice. If the owner of the money is a dervish, he should use as much of it as he is surely in need of. And if he is a rich man, he should not spend a single penny, but should contribute it towards the national reconstruction or the relief of the poor and needy. If this rich man is really in need of some money, he is allowed to take as much of it as is required to meet the bare necessities of his family. So and so has stayed several years in a hermitage near my home. He bears a good moral character and has discarded his worldly life for the sake of his life in the hereafter. If a man is too poor to support his family and wants to be benefited by the Sultan's voluntary charity or charitable endowments, he ought to secure a favorable religious verdict on this subject and avail himself of the concession of the approval of a competent authority. It is very difficult to subject oneself to a religious verdict of balance in these hard times and discover whether he and his family really stand in need of financial help from the government. If there is such a poor man, he deserves to be looked after instead of being deprived of monetary assistance due to him. Therefore it is incumbent on so and so to seek the help of his Muslim brethren and other sheikhs, who will certainly extend their helping hands to relieve him from his financial distress. The peace of God be upon his holy prophet, who is the head and chief of his messengers. Yours sincerely, Al-Ghazali. Letter 3 Al-Ghazali's Letter to Administrative Heads of All Government Departments to the administrative heads of all government departments. God says, Whosoever has done an atom's weight of good shall see it, and whosoever has done an atom's weight of evil shall see it also. Quran, chapter 99, verses 7-8. Man's conduct, speech, silence, generosity, or avarice are either a glorious treasure which he cannot part with or these are the seeds of wretchedness which he sows in all directions. Though he is indifferent to what he does, yet the guardian angels record every good or evil he does. God is always near those who seek him, while only those that are far removed from him are those who do not remember him, and who by their actions fail to acknowledge that he is omnipresent and omniscient, knowing and seeing all they do. The moment man dies, a register of his deeds from the early period of his life to the end of his days is shown to him, the day that every soul shall find what it has done of good brought forward, 
and what it has done of evil. It will wish if there were only a far space between it and that day. Quran, chapter 3 verse 30. Then good, even though it be just an atom's weight will be placed in one scale, and evil having the same amount will be placed in another. Then man will be subjected to the verdict of the balance, and he will be very worried, and anxious to know which of the scales rises and falls. Then he whose deeds weigh heavy in the balance shall live a life which is pleasing. But he whose weight is light in the balance, his head will be in the plunging. What shall teach you what the plunging is? It is a fire which is extremely hot. Quran, chapter 101 verses 611. On that day the scales of the rich will be light. For they spend their money to satisfy their animal passions but the scale of the humble will be heavy, because they used their money to carry out the commands of God. Those who have much are often greedy, those who have little always share. Those who spend their whole wealth in charity to escape the dangers involved in worldly possession, attain perfect salvation. Abu Bakr Siddiq disposed of his estate and vast wealth and placed the proceeds at the feet of the Holy Prophet. Praise and peace be upon him. When asked what he had left for his dependents he, may God be pleased with him, replied, I am sure God and his messenger can confer on me a substantial benefit sufficient to relieve me from anxiety concerning the means of the subsistence of my family. This occurred when the Prophet Praise and peace be upon him, said the rich have perished, and he alone has survived who has scattered his wealth in all directions, helping the poor and carrying out the commands of God. Because man is miserly by nature and does not want to spend his money except in his own personal interest, it is therefore incumbent upon him to spend his money only upon those who are really in need of his financial help so that God may reward him with increase upon increase on the day of judgment. When the exchange value of one dinar is given to the needy it will be equal to more than one thousand dinars. The money gifted by a rich man must be honestly earned and distributed among the pious and learned who have no source of income to fall upon during hard times. God says, O you who believe, do not annual your charitable giving with reproach and hurt. Quran, chapter 2 verse 264. Sincerely, Al-Ghazali. Letter 4. Al-Ghazali's letter to an emir to one of the Amirs. The disorders of the human organism which is the most intricate and complex structure in the world, and the exact means of putting them right are the most difficult and complex study, and in being so they yield a large scope for fallacies of observation and inference. Therefore, there are many false theories and many monstrous remedies for them. So many and great errors and evils have flowed from wrong observation and reasoning therefore it is only natural for me to be full of worry. The physicians who try to cure these diseases, as if they proceed from natural causes, are ignorant people who know nothing of medicine. The truth of the matter is that the one who creates diseases is the one who knows how to cure them. But common people believe that medicine should be bought from a pharmacist, according to the prescription of a physician, and then used as directed. This is the most serious error. 
It is through the mercy and guidance of God, the Almighty, that the patient selects the most suitable doctor for his treatment, and again it is through divine revelation that the physician prescribes the best remedy, taking into account the suitable quantity and quality of medicine which is to be used with due regard to time and interval. For if a doctor ignores these important factors, he is of no use to the patient who will ultimately abandon his treatment as useless or pernicious. The best and most reliable medicines are not obtained from shops or pharmacies, because the key to them lies in the treasure of the angels who are the agents responsible for the administration of the affairs of the kingdom of heaven. By the command of God, men are provided with the most useful guidance by the angels under whose control heavenly treasures are placed, as established in the Holy Quran. It does not belong to any human that God should speak to him except by revelation, or from behind a veil, or that he sent a messenger to reveal whatsoever he will by his permission. He is the High, the Wise. Quran, Chapter 42, Verse 51 If the best cure is to be sincerely sought, it is always to be found in the prayers of the pious, and it is through the agency of angels that the afflicted person feels the heavenly drop upon their soul. And there is not a thing but with us on its treasuries, and we do not send it down except in a known measure. Quran, chapter 15, verse 21. You cannot avail yourself of the devotional spirit of the pious unless you benefit them by charity and kindness. Charity brings relief both for the doctor and his patient, and provides the patient with the most effective remedy borrowed from the treasures placed in the custody of the angels as mentioned in the prophetic saying, Get rid of your diseases through charity. What then is that about which we ought to employ our serious thoughts? This one thing, that there is no God except God whose goodness overflows all things and whose inner power animates the innermost hearts which hence become wider than heaven and earth. Eternal God is found at a point within ourselves, which as the mystics hold, is equally God's central reality and ours, where spirit with spirit meet. They question you about the spirit. Say, the spirit is of the command of my Lord. Quran. Chapter 17 verse 85 These things are too difficult to understand and God has forbidden that it, the mysteries of the human soul, should be disclosed. It is not wise to waste one's time on what man cannot understand. However, it is sufficient for us to know that the spirit and spiritualism are inseparable and proportionate to each other since the time that this planet was first created. No research scholar in any age or of any country has been able to discover this closely guarded secret on the basis of this vast knowledge and experiments with truth. In short, care depends upon charity which is linked with prayers that bring health and healing to the body and produces a rare clarity of mind and enhances moral and spiritual power. Therefore, it is said that prayers keep away all sorts of suffering and troubles. A hadith mentions, prayers and disorders trouble with each other. Prayers are like assembled armies that invade and wipe out all sources of evil and mischief. Prayers for rain and congregational worship in mosques explain this point, 
and we have seen on many occasions in response to the prayers of the pious, refreshing and life-giving showers falling on the parched ground and the desert is made to blossom as a rose. A specialist in metaphysics can question my knowledge in their regard and argue that the diseases caused by fever require cool medicines for their treatment. There is no reason why charity could not be effective in such disorders. Doctors have made mistakes before. Is it not possible that they might be wrong now? They fail to realize that the human organism which is a fabric of such complicated correlation of parts and functions that the more the mechanism is known, the more the wonder grows that it ever keeps itself in working order so well and for so long as it does. This is not due to one's efforts for keeping good health. It is all due to the grace of the merciful God. A metaphysician, being misled by faulty observation, arrives at the conclusion that a variety of external influences have caused the ailment of his short-sightedness is responsible for his arrival at the wrong conclusion. His eyes fail to see the depths and the summit of the human soul in which there is a principle untouched by external influences, which flows from the spirit, remaining in the spirit itself, altogether spiritual in its content. In this principle is God, ever verdant, flowering in all the joy and glory of his actual self and no man can in any way behold it. An example will explain this. Suppose an ant walking along a piece of paper beholds that a line is caused by a pen. It can see neither the heart of the writer where the idea of writing has taken place, nor the writer's hand which is the real mover of the pen. In this example human nature is a pen, the angels are the fingers holding the pen and God the Almighty, to whom all the angels bow in obedience, is like the hand and the possessor of it. It was the pen of God which at his command wrote down the simple nature of things and in the twinkling of an eye intelligence, souls, elements and nature, as well as the heavens and stars became into being. These then took up the task and obeyed the second mandate by writing down the compound bodies and straightway the mineral, vegetable and animal kingdoms sprang into existence. These are the scribble of God and the words they write are the compound bodies of nature. Since man is finite he cannot see the infinite or his work. He can only see the pen, but it is not the pen that writes but the holder of it. Man does not fully understand that his knowledge, will and power comprehend and pervade the whole range of natural causes and effects. He fails to observe that cause as well as effect yield and are subservient to his will and attribute every event to the action of some natural law. The hearts of believers lie between the two fingers of the merciful. He who knows his own self, knows God. The mind of the writer, his hand and fingers are above the pen and his body lies below. He alone is the wisest who rises stage by stage from the lowest level to the highest spiritual stage. Indeed, we created the human with the fairest stature and we shall return him to a state lower than the young. Quran, chapter 95 verses 4-5 It is a pity that some people believe in the miraculous cures by a doctor. A policy of total reliance on medical aid would be disastrous. 
When we are ill, the best course left open to us is that we should surrender ourselves entirely, taking refuge with God, as men in sore affliction, who have no other resources or supporters left. If one is pious and learned, his prayer can easily reach the malacute world of self which is the highest of the high. This height is not to be reached with an astronomic ladder to the stars or with the wings of an angel. Perception or intelligence can never lead to this conviction or reveal this glorious mystery, that is the province of the divine light alone. Wealth and dignity have caused many to stray from the right path. They are the gods people worship. Renunciation is the practice of those who know God and the characteristic mark of the wise. If one has expelled the love of this from one's heart, you may be sure that you will arrive at your destination. The guide which will conduct him on his path assumes the form of good works. Good deeds would elevate him to the contemplation of spiritual things through the medium of his impressionable feelings. One cannot attain the good of life by distributing bread and meat among those who do not pray, for it would only add to the greed of the needy and their desires. Such charity should be confined exclusively to the pious and those who fear God. Now there is no mercy better than to devote one's self to the perfection and improvement of others both by precept and example. It is essential that charity should be strictly and confidentially confined to those fakirs who are pure in spirit and in their lives, and who, in spite of their best effort, are too poor to support their families. If they are benefited both temporally and spiritually, they would surely pray for the well-being of their benefactors and thus the services of a specialist who knows how to treat the physical and spiritual diseases by heavenly guidance would be readily available. There is no approach from a native sense to the cure of the mind or body. It is unwise to depend upon the treatment by those who do not know what medicine is. Every doctor fancies that he alone possesses the knowledge of medicine but this is an attribute of the mind and unless one is possessed of this knowledge, one cannot say for certain whether he is or is not an expert physician. Sincerely, Al-Ghazali Letter 5 Al-Ghazali's Letter to All Prominent Theologians To All Prominent Theologians The Holy Prophet Praise and peace be upon him, said, This world is utterly vile and wicked. It has fallen into deep abasement. Everything it contains is cursed, except those things which are exclusively meant for Allah. Those who lead the life of conventionality, artificiality and personal ambition, and indulge in the accumulation of wealth, so only the seeds of mischief and wretchedness that result in the devastation of the face of the earth. This world is the means and the next the end. The wise man is he who collects goods here for his journey to the hereafter. The prophet, praise and peace be upon him, hinted to the same effect in the hadith. Honestly earned money is a source of great strength for an honest man. The best of all virtues is the love of regard for the learned and pious, and the best of money is giving alms to them. There is no better way to salvation than by bringing relief to the hearts of the pious worshippers of Allah. Yours sincerely, Al-Ghazali Letter 6 
Al-Ghazali's letter to judges of the far Maghreb. Praise be to God, Lord of the worlds. Salvation is confined to the believers, and his wrath strikes down those who are cruel. And I testify that our master Muhammad, praise and peace be upon him and his descendants, is the head and chief of his messengers. It is mainly due to the effort of Imam Marwan, a distinguished judge, that a mere acquaintance between myself and the Honorable Sardar Mudamadal Mulk Amin Adala has ripened into a deep friendship which is dearer to me than if he were one of my nearest relatives, for he is the greatest mystic in the mystical movement of today and one of the greatest mystics in the history of Islam. I do not remember whether or when I have sent him a written reminder of my affection, but in moments of leisure. It has struck me that there has been a disproportionate silence between us. It is essential, therefore, that we should write to each other frequently. To promote the friendship which already exists between us, I would like to employ a rich counsel which I offer you as a gift from the learned. I want to let you know that if you want to know the right and avoid ignorance, you should cultivate a disposition which gladly accept association with the wise. The Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, was asked, Who is the best of men? He replied, The one who is the most pious among them. He was further asked, Who is the wisest? He replied, The one who remembers death and is always prepared for it. It is also reported in a hadith, He alone is wise who is a master of his self, and the ignorant is he who is a slave to his desire. Surely, he is the most wretched fellow who is not revivified and illumined, and it is impossible for him to attain intelligence. The intelligence is a light in the heart, distinguishing between truth and vanity. The intelligent person casts away the love of worldly objects and lives in submission and resignation to his will, whilst on the other hand it does not appeal to the ignorant whether his abode would be in paradise or hell. God has clarified the situation in the clearest of words. Indeed, the righteous shall dwell in bliss. But the wicked, indeed, they shall be in the fiery furnace. Quran, chapter 82 verses 13-14 God also says, As for whosoever was insolent, preferring the present life, surely hell will be their refuge. But, Whosoever feared the standing before his Lord and prevented the self from desire, indeed, their refuge shall be paradise. Quran, chapter 79, verses 37-41. He also says, We shall pay those who desire the present life and its adornments in full for the work they have done therein. They shall not be defrauded. Those are they who in the world to come will have only the fire. There. Their deeds will have failed, and their works will be void. Quran, chapter 11, verses 15-16 The universe is the mirror of the universe. If you wish to know God, then know that the heart of man is the mirror of the universe. If you want to know God, then you must look into your own heart. The guide that will conduct you to your path is there. It is a still, small voice that ever bids you to reject evil and choose good. It is the heart that promises freedom from hasty judgment and friendship towards men and obedience to God. 
it will certainly lead you to the goal of eternal bliss. When you turn to the very innermost, deepest consciousness of your real self you have a perception of indwelling in God within you. Now you realize that to turn inward to the light within yourself is to live in the presence of God or your divine self. Soon you discover the unreality of objects which used to divert and consume you, and when yourself moves the heart in search of an object or an enjoyment of your desire, and that the heart responded to these demands with neither a command from God nor his permission, that the result is forgetfulness of God and sin. God seizes them the mind and heart with ignominy, calamity, and subjection to people, also with injury, anxiety, pain, and disease. Therefore, you should open your eyes and look into the future and find out what good deeds you have done for tomorrow. Remember, none is more sympathetically inclined towards you than your own heart. Think deeply for a minute or two and decide what it is that you run after. Perhaps you are dissatisfied with that which is assigned to you from the universe, and you want to found a city. If so, ponder upon how many a town have we laid in ruin. Quran, chapter 7 verse 4. If you want to dig wells or canals, think how many of them have already fallen into ruin over the course of time. If you intend to build a grand house, remember how quickly magnificent buildings disappeared. And should you wish to lay out a beautiful garden then remember, how many gardens and fountains did they leave behind, and plantations, fine siding places and good things in which they took delight. Thus it was. And we made other people inherit them. Neither heaven nor earth shed tears for them, nor were they respited. Quran, chapter 44 verses 25-29 Again, what do you think? If we gave them enjoyment for many years, and then what they were promised comes to them, what avail will their past enjoyments be to them? Quran, chapter 26 verses 205-207 May God forbid, if you want to serve the king, you should read this hadith. On the day of resurrection the kings and viziers will rise like ants from the earth and the common folk would tread them roughly under their feet. If you are still not convinced by this, read what God has said in this connection. There is an oppressor for every proud man. The prophet, praise and peace be upon him, also said, Let people mourn for him in his lifetime he who indulges in pride and cherishes a desire to become a chief among men. He also said, Two wolves cannot harm a herd of sheep as much as wealth and ambition cause havoc among Muslims. If this is not sufficient to convince you, refer to a saying of Prophet Jesus. Peace be upon him, O my friends. Wealth is the source of worldly happiness and the cause of endless suffering in the next world. By God, I say that the rich will not enter the heavenly kingdom. Prophet Muhammad, praise and peace be upon him, said, On the day of resurrection, the rich will rise in groups. The first will constitute those who earned money legally and spent it lawfully. God will say to his angels, Ask them if they spent their wealth on forbidden objects which were against my command, or whether they disturbed the order in which they ought to have worshipped me by making mistakes in the performance of ablution and prostrating before me correctly.
it is also possible that they did not pay enough attention to voluntary charity, pilgrimage, or the obligatory charity which are to be performed with the appropriate attention to detail, and utmost solemnity and decorum. Then, addressing the angel they would explain, we amassed wealth through honest means, and the performance of our obligatory duties. We spent in the name of God and did not misappropriate a single penny. Then they will be asked, Did you show mercy to the poor among mankind, and did you give your neighbor their due? Meanwhile, a crowd of people will appear from the opposite direction prostrating and crying, Our Lord, they were the richest men among us and you had forced us to stand in need of their financial help, and yet they did not care to help us. And so, they will be chained, dragged and thrown into hell. This is the fate of those who earn money legally and do not spend it on the welfare of his worshippers. God alone knows what will happen to those whose lifetime expires while they hoard gold for their personal benefit. There are people who will be punished and incur the wrath of God, being lost in the desire of the flesh they are never shaken awake. The multiplication of possessions and its boasting occupied you from worshipping and obeying until you visit the graves. But no, indeed, you shall soon know. Quran, chapter 102 verses 1-3 There are false hopes and base desires which subdue human hearts that are trapped by devils. If a disease takes root in one's heart, it can only be treated by one who is an enemy towards his self. Intellectual cure is more important than physical treatment. They alone are immune from spiritual ailments who are possessed of pure hearts. There are two kinds of medicines suggested for the treatment of the heart. The first consists in remembering death and meditating upon it always, taking into account the dreadful end of fallen kings, and the worshippers of wealth how they amassed immense riches built magnificent palaces and wasted their lives in pride and hypocrisy until death walked silently towards them turning their palaces into graveyards, obliterating all trace of the pomp and grandeur which was once theirs. Is it not a guidance to them, how many generations we destroyed before them in whose dwelling places they walk? Surely, in this there are signs for those of reason. Quran. Chapter 20 verse 128 Their palaces and houses which now lie in ruins tell their story, and again there are others who have disappeared even from fables. The second medicine prescribed for healing the human heart is to meditate deeply upon the contents of the Holy Quran which contains the best cure and divine blessings. On his deathbed the Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, advised us to keep in touch with two advisers. He said, I have left two advisers among you, who sometimes speak to you, while on other occasions prefer silence. One is the Quran and the other the laws of his messenger. And you will not stray as long as you hold fast. People may look alive, yet in reality they are dead, for they have lost interest in the Book of God. They read the Quran with their tongues, no doubt, but actually they are dumb. They also hear it being recited to them, but in actual practice they are dead. They see it wrapped up in an expensive silk cloth, and placed in an almirah, 
yet they are blind to its meanings and mysteries. They explain the meaning of the Book of God in their commentaries, yet they themselves are quite ignorant as they do not follow the teachings of the Holy Quran. They know that Satan is their enemy, but they do not deal with him as such. I warn you against falling into deception by joining the company of such men as have gone astray from the right path and do not perform their obligatory duties. Low desires and passions of the baser self overpower them and they are cut off from the help of God. So, if death overtakes them before repentance they become among those who perish. There is a verse in the Holy Quran which provides the enlightened with a true light and guidance. Believers, do not let either your possessions or your children divert you from the remembrance of God. Those who do that shall be the losers. Quran, chapter 63 verse 9. Beware lest you indulge in the accumulation of wealth for this kind of happiness will create inner discord which will interfere with the absorption of consciousness in spiritual things and force you to forget the day of resurrection. The Holy Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, Such terrible doom will befall those who look at the wealth of others with eyes full of greed. It is beyond human power to imagine what endless suffering lies in store for those who hoard wealth and waste their lives in open rebellion against the command of God. So far as the great Kadiyamam Marwan is concerned, I pray to God to save and preserve him for he is an eminent Sufi, extremely devout and highly pious. He is possessed of both extraordinary intellectual power and fear of God, and these virtues will develop into a definite and permanent form only when his father helps him and contributes towards a better understanding of his son, who, being one of the most prominent philosophers and mystics of Iran, is an organ for bringing peace and prosperity for his father both here and in the hereafter. With uplifted hands and eyes he should pray for his son, who being a spiritual seer, call for a new epoch of faith, life, and power, and from whose great soul our Islamic faith can and will be reborn. He is not a rebel or a willful heretic. He is a spiritual seer and has brought out of his storehouse things both new and old. He is essentially loyal to Islam, but speaks in a new tongue which sounds strange to the guardians of the old heritage. The goal of life can only be attained when we are constant and firm in love and accept with delight and without any grudge all troubles and pains received from the friend, contrary to the practice of the evildoers who sell the next world for the sake of money. You cannot expect salvation unless you sever all ties with the sultans and emirs. One of the traditions says that the learned are the trustees of God. As long as they have nothing to do with the affairs of the world, you should bear in mind that they are far away from religion and that you renounce their worldly ambitions. God has opened to you the knowledge of these things which are not difficult to achieve. It is therefore your sacred duty to be on amicable terms with your son, so that you may be benefited by his prayers. Remember, the humble prayers which escape from the heart of one's soul are the key to the contemplative life and the source of great relief in respect of parents, both in this world and in the next. You should act upon your son's advice 
so far as it is concerned with the renunciation of basic desires and the alluring temptations of the self. Because though a son is like a branch, yet through good deeds he can be likened to a mature tree. That is what Hadrach Abraham, peace be upon him, said, Father, knowledge has come to me which has not come to you, therefore, follow me. I will guide you to a level path. Quran, chapter 18 verse 43. You should treat your son with kindness. He should be as dear to you as your own soul. When the people of this world are raised in the life of the hereafter, they would earnestly desire that someone should recommend them to God. God says, Today he shall have no loyal friend here. Quran, chapter 69 verse 35. I pray that God, the Almighty may make this world appear a contemptible thing in your eyes as it is to him and delight you with the realm of the spiritual and real which is to be desired. May we sever all bonds of convention and follow the will of God and the path which leads to eternal life in paradise. Your sincerely, Al-Ghazali. Letter 7 Al-Ghazali's Letter to Ibn al-Amo To Ibn al-Amo Thank you very much for your letter containing many things about the spiritual world and the knowledge of God and your sincere faith in Him. I pray to God that he may enable you to dig still deeper for the hidden pearls of your heart so that you may become sensitive to spiritual suggestions and have a quick insight into religious questions. The knowledge which provides us with things other than the fulfillment of the commands of God and his messenger, praise and peace be upon him, is harmful to its possessor. Our holy prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, Whosoever is granted the maximum of knowledge, but is deprived of proper guidance, stands poles apart from God. The guiding knowledge leads you from the creatures to the Creator, from this world to the next, from pride to humility, from greed to piety, from hypocrisy to sincerity, from doubt to truth, from the slavery of those who live a life of luxury to the doctrines of the mystics. Many people think that he who is busy acquiring religious knowledge also walks along the true path. Actually, this is not so, which is indeed a pity. It is recorded in Sanhain that our holy prophet, praise and peace be upon him, said, The wrath of God will descend upon those who seek knowledge of God with a view to thereby gaining worldly ends. The trouble with the learned is that they do not realize that to hoard knowledge is more dangerous than the accumulation of wealth. For wealth is intended for use in this world and is exclusively meant for the well-being of mankind on this planet. But religious knowledge is devoted purely to religion and the heart of religion is always to be found in close contact with God in the fathomless depths of the inner life. If it is exploited to serve our personal ends in this life, it contributes to the gravest of sins. Some of the sages observed, the hardest people in the world to debate with are those who seek religion through such illicit means which are meant for those seeking themselves or their own things. As a matter of fact, this world is a means and the next, an end. Woe to he who sells religion for worldly gain. This world is an agent and a servant, and the next is the master and the ruler. 
They are obstinate fools who suppose that the master is a servant and vice versa. You cannot alter divine principles, nor rebel against the established doctrines by finding fault with his will. Natural laws do not change, though to a certain degree they appear to assume a changed form in this world which is like a fast-fading shadow, because matter, while admitting reflection which it cannot resist, takes the false appearance of motion. The world of matter and all in it is but a dream, compared to the awakening which will come to man on his deathbed. The moment he closes his eyes, the next world and the meaning of the mysterious realities are unveiled to him. Every quality assumes a bodily shape and every man becomes an animal according to the ruling passion of his earthly life. This idea is expressed in the words of this hadith. My nation will in eternal life rise up in groups that is, some as apes, some as tigers, and some as pigs, etc. At that time men who earned their worldly livelihood at the cost of their religious knowledge will fall into such deep abasement that it would seem to them reasonable that all creatures in heaven and earth should rise up against them. A divine voice will cry, Therefore, we have now removed your covering. Today your sight is sharp. Quran, chapter 50 verse 22. This situation is further explained in the following words of the Holy Quran. Would that you could see the wrongdoers when they hang their heads before their Lord. They will say, Our Lord, we have now seen and heard. Send us back and we will do deeds of righteousness. Quran, chapter 32 verse 12. Again a divine voice will reply, What, did we not make your lives long enough to remember in for whosoever would remember? A warner came to you, so taste now. None shall help the harm-doer. Quran, chapter 35, verse 37. The Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, warned, the thing to be most afraid of and which I am afraid of in respect of my followers is the evil learned man. Evil, learned men will have to endure endless suffering and sorrow. Learned men can be grouped into three categories. First, those who are ignorant and profane. They are possessed of a kind of learning which is not knowledge, and they neither care for nor desire the eternal truth which is known by experience. In the Quran they are described, they are those whose hearts, hearing and sight are sealed by God, they are the heedless. In the everlasting life, they shall assuredly buy the losers. Quran, chapter 16 verses 108-109. Second, those whose immediate feelings have no content, and who sit holding their heads in their hands and deeply meditate upon their grief for not having done good deeds. Third, those who guard the way of the ancient Muslims and their illustrious men who were the companions of the Prophet, praise and peace be upon him, as the true path to the ultimate goal the attainment of the nearness to God and final peace and the beautiful vision. When the final nearness is attained, their souls become absorbed in the divinity. Blessed are the eyes that have seen them or those who have seen them. You do not know how fervently I wish I could see them with my own eyes. The following verse in the Quran refers to these three groups. Among them is he who was harmful to himself, and some who minimize, and some 
by the permission of God, grace and charity, that is the greatest virtue. Quran, chapter 35, verse 32. I pray to God to enlist us among the most sincere of his worshippers, and save us from the fraud of those who indulge in worldly pleasures. Your sincerely, Al-Ghazali. Letter 8. Al-Ghazali's letter to King Hwajanaman Abbasi. To King Hwajanaman Abbasi. Someone asked the Prophet, Praise and peace be upon him. Tell me about Islam so that I may have no need to ask others about it. He replied, Say, I believe in God, after which, firmly obey the commands and abandon things which are forbidden. To believe in God means that God and the spiritual world are ever-present realities in the routine of our daily life. Islam teaches us that in order to devote exclusive attention to fulfilling our duties to God and to our fellow beings, we must abandon all vain desires and commit and commend ourselves as well as all things to God. It is then that we have reached the state of freedom, because we have lost the fear of pain or hell and the hope of reward or paradise, and are living in pure submission to God. We reduce our cognitive faculties to zero, to absolute inaction and in this sacred silence contemplate upon divine things, by union, not in ourselves but by going out of ourselves entirely and becoming holy of God. The universe has flowed out from him. It is a divine emanation and there is also a cosmic process of returning back to the Eternal One. The only possible approach therefore, is the way of negation. The stage of obeying the commands of God comes next. The abandonment of forbidden things consists of three things. 1. The heart should be purified of all inner impurities. 2. We should improve our conduct so that other men may be improved. 3. Thankfulness for the blessings of comfort in the limbs and organs of the body is to use them in carrying out the commands of God and in restraining ourselves from forbidden things and also from evil and sinful acts. One should always weigh one's words and deeds. Wisdom means the intelligent weighing of both sides of a situation and the finding out of the right middle course between two extremes. It is, therefore, very important that we should subject ourselves to the verdict of a balance and discover whether our scale will rise or fall. When one's self comes across objects of pleasure, it naturally insists that they should be obtained for the time being and that they would be abandoned next time. The best course left open to us in this condition is that we should ask ourselves to abstain this time from gaining the objects and that it would be more advisable to obtain them next time. We should take ourselves no more seriously than it takes us. We have the right to restore to a sort of personal reprisal. In this way we return to the right quarter jest for jest, we play the trick that has been played on us. If we cannot practice this continuously, at least we can make ourselves as familiar with it as possible. It is the recollection of God, the thought of God, which in all places and circumstances make us see Him present. Let us commune respectfully and lovingly with Him and fill ourselves with the desire and affection of Him. Never lose sight of the idea of God neither in prosperity 
nor in adversity, nor on any occasion, whatever it may be. Do not let the mundane activities of your life absorb you to the extent that you may ignore God. Always bear this fact in your mind that God sees you, and that you are under His eyes. If you forget Him a thousand times each hour, try to remember Him for two thousand times an hour. If, beneath the weight of overpowering misery or in the intoxication of unwanted prosperity, you should waver for a moment in your belief in God, you should atone for your error at once, by a long and earnest course of penitence and prayer. One usually makes the ideals of life those material things which do not give oneself peace and happiness. If we remember God and worship Him, peace and happiness should come by themselves out of necessity, and the mere outcome or natural result of a far higher life permeated with spirituality through and through. This life is the real seeking of the kingdom of God and the desire for His supremacy in our hearts. If we are able to live such a life we would deserve salvation, peace of mind and divine grace both in this life and in the hereafter. Yours sincerely, Al-Ghazali Letter 9 Al-Ghazali's Letter to Sultan Sanjar Seljuki To His Majesty, Sultan Sanjar Seljuki in the name of God, the Merciful, the Most Merciful. May God bless you with the dominion and grant you a kingdom in paradise before which the kingdoms of the whole world stand insignificant. The borders of this earthly kingdom cannot extend beyond the east and west. Generally speaking, the average life of a man on this planet rarely exceeds the age of a hundred years. In comparison to the kingdom of heaven, which is so vast, the whole world appears to be but a dust particle. May it please your most excellent majesty and I realize that for an ambitious man it is very hard to lead a pious life but as I find you very honest and careful, I would have you do this out of wisdom and kindness to yourself. Our holy prophet, praise and peace be upon him said, a day spent administering justice by a monarch who fears God is equal to sixty years spent by a pious man in devotion and prayers. If you would ponder over the nature of this world, it would appear dreadfully contemptible. Some mystics have said, if this world could be likened to a picture which is unstable and frail, and the next world could be compared to a picture which is unbreakable and durable, wise men would certainly prefer the latter to the former. As a matter of fact, the reality of this quote is otherwise. This world is a picture made of earth, while the next is a picture of gold. Wouldn't you condemn the folly in a man who holds the former to be superior to the latter? If you like a good life and fix your dearest hopes on paradise, a day of your life would be worth sixty years spent by mothers in worship and God would certainly open to you sources of happiness to which you are a stranger. You should know that by now I am fifty-three years old. Forty years of my life have been spent in the various peaceful haunts of famous scholars and learned men under whom I studied until I was raised to such a rank that people began to know me and understand the change in my ideas. For twenty years I lived in the reign of your royal father who did all that he could to make both Isfahan and Baghdad the most flourishing cities of the world. 
On several occasions I served, on behalf of your father, as ambassador to the court of the Abbasid Caliph Muqtadar Billah and did all that was possible to remove certain misconceptions between the Seljuk Empire and the Abbasid Caliphate. I've authored 70 books. For several years I lived and preached in Mecca and Jerusalem, and when I visited the tomb of Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him, in Jerusalem and offered al-Fatiha, at this Mazar, I solemnly pledged that I shall neither attend the court of a king, nor receive anything of the nature of emolument from the governments in any shape or form whatsoever, since such circumstances would lessen the worth of any service to the people. I will not entangle myself in anything that provokes religious controversy. For the last twelve years I have been solemnly faithful to the pledge I made at the tomb of Hadrat Abraham. Now I have received an urgent message from your majesty asking me to attend your court. In compliance with your orders, therefore, I have journeyed to Mashhad Radan, en route to the capital. But as an afterthought and in view of the aforesaid religious pledge to which I have bound myself, I have made up my mind to cancel the proposed visit. I beseech your majesty to consider the right I have in fulfilling a religious pledge and that I may not suffer just because of my honesty. If I may undertake to counsel, I think you would do well to refrain from forcing me to attend your court, nor would you like it in me if I attended in violation of the pledge. It would make me unworthy of your esteem. And now in my last words I humbly beseech your majesty to be pleased to allow me to return to my native town Tus, for which act of extreme kindness God will reward you with inexhaustible bounties both here and in the hereafter, and raise you in the next world to the rank of Suleiman the Great who was a famous king. Al-Ghazali Letter 10 Al-Ghazali's Letter to Sayyid Ahmad Din Muhammad al-Wazan to Kadi Imam Sayyid Ahmad Din Muhammad al wazan I am very glad to hear the news that some of the administrators of the affairs of your country are sparing no pains to ensure eternal security and implement wide-ranging reforms to alleviate the suffering of the common man. All believers are like oneself united on the basis of piety and relationship in knowledge, acquaintance with one another and cooperation among themselves. Among many treasures, the pearl of the greatest price is the knowledge we have of the early Muslims who recognized Allah as the causer of all causes and relied fully upon him, rather than upon their own energy and effort, or upon worldly things. Those indeed are the wisest of men who act in accordance with the preaching and actions of early Muslims. They alone are to be admired and congratulated who collect goods that will accompany them on the last journey. There are people whose philosophy is that one must avoid contemplating the thought of the next world and just enjoy, as best as one can, the pleasures of life that it has to offer at the moment. Such are completely devoid of spiritual capacity and composed entirely of material stuff. If they are not shaken awake some day they will certainly bring evil upon themselves through their own folly, and will be seized by the wrath of Allah sooner or later. Since unnecessary correspondence is a kind of formality and a mere waste of time, which I do not like, 
I resort to it only when in view of urgent requirements which I cannot possibly avoid. Alice says, there is no good in much of their confiding, except for he who bids to charity, honor, or reforms between people. Whosoever does that for the sake of the pleasure of Allah, we shall give him a great wage. Quran, chapter 4 verse 113. It would, therefore, appear that correspondence is also a sort of convention and a confidence held for the purpose of seeking advice from others. The reason for my writing is that I have a special favor to ask. I have a friend, the dearest one I have ever had. I cannot begin to tell you how much I like him or what varied and extraordinary talents he possesses. His readiness for any idea in mysticism is the despair of other Sufis and this fact together with his gifts has impressed me. Time is against him, but he toils relentlessly to assert his individuality. He wishes to seek an interview with you, and it is for this purpose that he has set out on a journey to your place of residence. He would be extremely grateful if you would receive and help him as much as you possibly can, for which kindness Allah will favor you with his mercy and bounty. Yours sincerely, Al-Ghazali Chill books. Audiobooks with relaxing music, visuals and subtitles to help you stay engaged.